What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. Uh, this is episode 16, and we are sitting down with the NACD president, Eric Beyer. Uh, also have TCC regulatory and sales specialist, Matt Franco on the line, too. Uh, good, good morning, guys. Hello. Thank you guys for, for sitting down. I'm glad to be here again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric, thank you as well for your, for your time. We appreciate you uh, sitting down and talking to us for a little while here. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Uh, maybe, uh, Eric, if you want to get started with, you know, maybe a little bit of background on you and, and the NACD, what you guys do and, and work on and, and all that fun stuff. Sure. Well, I mean, NACD uh, was uh, established back in 1971. You know, we are we primarily represent chemical distributors and, and a lot of their supply chain partners. And most of our member companies do everything in the distribution space. So they can process chemicals, formulate, blend, repackage, warehouse, transport, you name it. Um, they service about 750,000 customers uh, annually. And uh, you know, to give kind of a flavor on the economic side, we have about 70,000 or so employees and generate a little over $5 billion in tax revenue for, for you know communities throughout the country. And our members total, we have about 450 total overall. And we kind of we represent about 85 to 90 percent of the chemical distribution space. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's a good group. Uh, a lot of small businesses are average-sized members, about 26 a um, million dollars in sales and about 25, 26 employees. Um, by way of background for me, uh, I've been doing this now for about five years. Came here from uh, a law firm working on a lot of policy and communications efforts and then uh, did a lot of government affairs work for a, a trade association that was kind of similar to NACD but in the aviation world. And uh, before that, I worked on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress up in State College, Pennsylvania. Very nice. And are, are you based in D.C.? Yeah, we are. We're technically in the inside the Beltway. We are in Roslyn, which is the the closest part to D.C. in Arlington, Virginia. So we're right across the river from Georgetown. Got it. And that, and that's where is everyone that works for the NACD base there? Or do yeah. you guys have offices? Yeah. Our, yeah, our headquarters are here, along with the Chemical Educational Foundation that has their staff here as well. Very nice. Um, so I guess jump jumping right into it. What are some of the biggest things uh, you guys are, are working on or, or seeing, you know, throughout the distribution space and the chemical space as a whole? Uh, what, what are some of the biggest, you know, industry trends going on and things you guys are really spending a lot of time on uh, internally? Sure. Uh, lots of things, obviously, uh, you know, from a public policy side, I think everybody's seeing what's going on with the, 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 the China 301 tariffs. That's obviously been something that's been really important to our, a lot of our members, especially smaller companies that import products from China. Um, so that all started back in the spring, and there's been three three lists that have come out from the president as to companies that are as to products that are going to be uh, assessed a tariff, whether it's 10 or 25 percent. So we've been aggressive on that, sending our a lot of our members to testify before uh, the U.S. Trade Rep. Uh, we've worked somewhat successfully in getting a number of exclusions for products coming out. Uh, I think of the 350 or so that we've actually uh, had uh, members concerned about. Uh, we've been able to get exclusions to uh, 30, 35 of them, which is pretty good, uh, 10%, which most people say that's not great, but in this world where people are not having much success, we've been pretty successful in that arena. So that's probably been one of our big issues. Um, you know, lots of other policy issues that we're talking about right now. You know, we have CFAT so that expires in early January next year. We're trying to get reauthorized. We've got a huge driver shortage out there where it's tough for a lot of our members to get product delivered on time because of uh, the lack of qualified drivers. So we're working on, on some legislative and regulatory fixes for that potentially. And then obviously uh, consolidation in our industry continues to be something that we uh, we see. Uh, obviously, I think everybody has seen at this point Univar looking at purchasing uh, Nexio. So those are two or, or two or three of our biggest members that we have out there. So that's that's a big deal. So uh, we're keeping a close eye on that. But that 
we've seen a number of other um, M&A activity over the last six months to nine months. So uh, that's something we'll keep a close eye on. So lots to go, lots to, to tackle, uh, both from a policy but also an industry side. And the good thing is that even with the tariffs, the economy has been pretty strong. I mean, having seen our members at regional events and some other industry events here in the last two weeks, everybody seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, I think the fact that the regulatory climate is not as challenging as it was under President Obama has been helpful. I think tax reform has been helpful. Um, the, the China tariffs are challenging, to say the least, but uh, I think they're still, they're still light at the end of the tunnel in terms of our guys are doing pretty well um, economically, and they're, they're, they're definitely out there. They're trying to hire people. Uh, they're definitely growing their businesses. We're seeing better returns year over year from this year to last, and, and that's a trend that's happened over the last two, three years. Those are all good indicators that the economy is still pretty strong for the, the distribution space. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you guys are not uh, struggling to find things to do by any means. Definitely lots lots going on, it seems like, which, you know, good good and a yes. bad thing, I suppose. Keeps us all gainfully employed, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, maybe going a little bit deeper on the tariffs for a second. Uh, we, we spent sure. a lot of time on the on the podcast and putting emails out and things like that, just trying to keep yep. our, our customers and business partners aware of what's going on, just publishing information and it, mm-hmm. it seems like we, we put a lot out and there's obviously news articles all over the place and, and you guys yep. do a great job with getting the word out as well. And it just seems like there's still lots of people that either have decided to selectively ignore what's going on or hope it'll go away and you know close their eyes and just hope, hope that yeah. you know, it just disappears overnight. Um, yes, exactly. Well, so obviously the list, the three lists are final as Matt Frank over here has done a great job keeping an eye on for us. Um, you yes. know, where, where does all that lie and, and maybe any recommendations or advice for, um, you know, your member companies with how to, how to proceed for the next month. And then obviously once the new January one deadline comes into effect, you know, yep. what you guys are recommending and, and talking to people about. Well, I think obviously, you know, going back, the biggest thing here is educating yourself uh, with what's going on. Uh, there's three lists. I mean, everybody's got information pieces that are out there for, for our members. We've got a static page on NACD.com that talks about each of the three lists, what USDA put out there with the products they are going to have a tariff assessed to them. We've essentially laid out when the activity is going to take effect, what that increased tariff rate is going to be. You know, those types of elementary stuff right now so people understand what it is. Um, we've also put in submitted comments on how to potentially or at least request to have products excluded. Um, some have been successfully done. Some Muslim have not been. Um, you know, <clears throat> right now we are still looking at a last-ditch effort, which you, uh, USTR is going to put out there publicly about how you can make one final request to have a product excluded from the one of the three lists, namely list three is what we're focusing on right now pretty soon. Um, so those are all efforts that are ongoing that we continue to tackle every day. We're working with Capitol Hill. Uh, we've been working aggressively on a number of different letters. There's another letter that's coming out here probably in the next few days that requests the White House and the administration to make sure they have the opportunity to put in for chemicals that could be excluded out of list three. So that's something we're working hard on. Um, you know, in terms of what's going to happen moving forward, we've heard lots of things that are going on out there. Could the president revoke everything he's done if he strikes a deal with Beijing? We don't know. Uh, certainly that's a hope that a lot of people have. Um, but I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what's going on in the inner core of the White House within the negotiation process, but we do know it's very high level. Uh, we do know that members of Congress, especially from states that have a high impact in terms of manufacturing, uh, are struggling, and they are hearing from businesses, small, medium, and large. And, you know, I think with an election coming in a few weeks, there may be potentially some movement with the White House and striking a deal, I hope. Um, but if not, uh, this is when people vote. And so if they're frustrated 
you know, this is one of those things where I think a lot of folks are going to be out there and saying, okay, we, we got to make a change here. So um, I, I don't know ultimately what's going to happen, but, you know, this is something that could very much be around for at least the next couple of years. And I think it's something that people need to prepare themselves to be permanent as much as we hope there could be a fix uh, where things could change up. Yeah, one of the things we were just talking about yesterday, actually, on our uh, our monthly view podcast with uh, Rob Roach, the TCC president, is it seems like Trump is is boasting about how much um, you know money that the U.S. is going to make from these tariffs. But in reality, it's it's yeah. the businesses, you know, it's it's us essentially that are are, yeah. are paying these tariffs. It's not like we're yeah. going to be making these millions and millions of dollars from China. And I think once people realize that, it'll be interesting to see what happens come you know midterm election time. Well, the U.S. Yeah, I think it's. It's, it's fair to say that there's been a trade imbalance. I don't think anybody disputes that, especially with China. Um, and this is how the president believes it's the best way to negotiate, and that's, that's fine. Uh, I think, you know, the idea that it's not hurting businesses and it's going to bring revenue to the association is, is uh, not genuine, to be frank with you. I think we have plenty of member companies that can testify to the fact that this is really going to cripple their business, especially for products they're importing that only can come out of China. Uh, and I think that's where you're really starting to see a lot of small companies that have um, a number of products are coming in just from China alone where they're trying to recalibrate and find out could it be made somewhere else? Do they need to diversify their, their product portfolio, if you will? So um, there's there's a lot of things out there that I know it's a struggle and it's challenging. And, you know, that this is this is what the White House wants to do, and that's fine. Um, but I think for our guys, the best, best thing that they can do is, is say, okay, we can't put our head in the sand. We've got to find a way to either get this product manufactured somewhere other than China or some other countries, and if we can do so, can we ensure that it gets here in time so we can fulfill what we need to, to provide to our customers? Yeah, I think at the, at the very least, there's at least it's it's decided now. You know, we we know what uh, products yeah. or chemicals are affected, and it's yes. you know it's a good thing that's at least decided. Um, and with kind of all this wait and see, at the very least, you know, there's going to be a, a three, four, five, six week shortage of stuff coming in from China because people just weren't ordering because they had no idea what would happen. So, I mean, at the very least, I think through the end of the year, stuff that is coming from China, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens on the supply side. Yeah, I would say that between Election Day and the holidays, that's a pretty pivotal time period. And I'd be curious to see if the shortages do occur uh, and see what pressure points are put on the administration, if any, uh, whether they're economic or political or otherwise. And so, yeah, I think I think you will see something shake out. I don't know if it's going to be good or worse. Um, you know, we keep hearing there potentially could be a list for um, because there's still several hundred million dollars of the product that are out there that could be uh, tariffed. So I, I, I don't know for sure, but I think something will shake out here over the next, you know, uh, eight to ten weeks. We just don't know which direction it's going to go. In a little bit earlier, you were talking about, um, you know, trying to convince the USTR to pass the, I think it was the product exclusion request. Uh, when do you expect yeah. that to start coming about uh, kind of around this January 1st deadline for the 25 percent tariff? Yeah, I would hope soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. because, I mean, it takes time. It takes time for our guys to put in the request. It takes time for USTR mm-hmm. to consider and vet them and then issue a final you know, list, if you will, of potential products that could be excluded. I suspect that not many will be approved uh, mm-hmm. for exclusion since they've kind of gone through the initial phase. Um, but um, uh, I'm hopeful soon. I-, I couldn't give you a specific date, to be honest with you. But yeah. you look at where we are now versus January 1, you know, we got less than three months and time's ticking. So... I'm hopeful fairly soon, and so we can get more information out to our members on how to do that process. Yeah, that's it. And I remember looking at the uh, list of product exclusion requests for uh, list one, and there's yeah. a couple thousand on there, and all of them are pending. So, I mean, yep. <laughs> I right. don't think they have and the list, manpower. And list three, yeah, I mean, list three, I mean, it was is, is the kitchen sink in my mind. I mean, mm-hmm. that will take a, an extraordinary amount of time to get that done. So, 
Um, so I, I hope it's sooner than later, but we'll see. Um, and, and for all we know, there maybe it could be a delay or extension. I don't know, but um, you're right. The fact that this one still hasn't been you know finalized out there, that's it's a good point to be made and one where time is definitely ticking. Right. Yeah, I think the way things have gone, you know, we could wake up tomorrow morning, it could be a 180 and, you know, all this could be gone. So, you know, the, the way things have gone, it'll be interesting to see how things certainly shake out through January 1 and, and beyond. Yep. That's the hope. But, you know, hope can only carry you so far. And the fact is we got a reality ahead of us that we got to make sure we prepare our members for. So. Yep. And I, pivoting slightly to another exciting topic, uh, you know, surrounding trucking and logistics, um, yep. you know, throughout the U.S. as well as, you know, kind of the global marketplace for uh, different freight and logistics moves. Uh, what what are you guys seeing on your end with with the freight industry? Obviously, certainly has gotten tight over the last six, twelve, eighteen months. You know, across all different channels. Uh, what what are some of the things you guys are are monitoring and keeping an eye on and and trying to advocate for? You know, across the chemical industry. Sure. I mean, I, as I said, the economy is doing pretty well for most of our folks, which means that there's more product that's trying to be moved, and so it's. You know, whether it's coming from abroad and being brought in on, you know, a freighter across Pacific and put on rail or and brought in by or truck, it's it's one of those things where it's a good problem to have, but it's a bad problem to have. So it's good because the economy is going strong and our members are able to do more business and grow with new jobs and stuff like that. But it's bad in the fact that logistically it is a challenge. And, you know, the rail the rail marketplace has been very challenging for our guys that do bring in product via rail. Uh, the class ones have continued to demonstrate an inability to provide um, uh, a lot of the products that our members bring in on time. Uh, not a really good communication network, and when there are complaints, they're not being heard. Uh, and sometimes some of the rate charges that are out there are are just doing very quickly. Not a lot of discussion about it. So there are a lot of issues when you tie in, you know, product coming in on rail and then getting ultimately to a destination where potentially you offload onto a truck. And then you have a you know a driver shortage. Um, there are definitely challenges between rail and driving right now, where it's 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 hard for our members. Uh, they're looking to find ways where they can get product in safely, securely, and on time. Always what they're looking for. And when that can't be done, they've got to look at other alternatives. Um, I know I've talked to a few um, uh, distributors who are actually looking at getting back into owning their own trucks again because they can kind of control their own destiny that way. So that's one way we're looking at it, or some of our members are looking at it. But um, I think everybody's trying really, really hard, especially with the third-party logistic providers that are out there to find qualified drivers to get products from point A to point B because it's a real opportunity for them as well. Because our members are doing well, they can do well by moving that freight. So um, I think everybody's trying to find solutions where they can get folks in. There is a bill on Capitol Hill that we're pushing that would uh, you know, uh, take the driver age from 21 to 18. Right now, you have to be 21 across state lines uh, to drive a truck. And so, you know, for, for someone like me who lives in, you know, um, uh, northern Virginia, I mean, Maryland is literally two miles away, but a driver could go from where I live in northern Virginia down to the southern part of Virginia, which is four hours away, but they couldn't cross the two miles to go into Maryland because that would be illegal. So there's the possibility where that the age could be dropped from 21 to 18. Um, there are a number of, of folks to have talked to that have folks that are coming out of the military that could certainly uh, handle that responsibility for sure with proper training as this bill would dictate. So that's another area we're looking at. But it's it's small in the grand scheme of things. I think it's just a matter of can we find people and get them enthused again to, to drive trucks, which has been a challenge for a number of years. Yeah, that was going to be one of my next kind of follow-up questions is, you know, what, what tactical advice you guys are offering to uh, member companies in the industry. Obviously, there's the option to buy trucks and hire drivers and get, you know, into that uh, asset-based piece. 
Um, yep. You know, you can you can advocate for longer lead times. You can advocate for flexible delivery dates right. and all that stuff. Is that kind yep. of you know what what you're preaching at this point, or you know, is there any yeah, other advice you've given people? We, you know, we 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 do have a number of members that do provide those types of services that are fairly reliable that will you know encourage them to at least talk to. Um, and so we're doing that. But, you know, a lot of things you just talked about, whether it's better lead time, whether it's having, you know, a better relationship with, you know, the company you're dealing, whether it's bringing it in-house and having your own drivers again, you know, a lot of our folks are, are way ahead of us in terms of just thinking about opportunities that are a way to, to ensure the product is getting there on time. But I think, you know, the idea that it's it's a challenge to say, okay, hey, we know a product's coming in and you've got to add another week to week and a half because you're not sure when that product's actually going to arrive is is frustrating for a lot of our guys and so they're doing the best they can to build that in time-wise for a product to be delivered or look at other opportunities working with a, a third-party provider that can maybe guarantee a shorter window of time that are more reliable and there are those that are out there companies that can do that so i think everybody's putting anything they can on the table to find ways to get that product there yeah it's been amazing seeing some of the articles that have came out about you know just double-digit percentage growth of, um, you know, pr- prices for trucks and double-digit growth across rail in six months. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see, yeah. you know, that the, the capacity overload that's on a lot of these channels. Well, and that's, you know, in a lot of the transportation modes, you know, I came from an aviation industry where pilot shortage was always something that was very cyclical. When the economy got strong, pilots were in, in high demand. And the trucking industry, it's no different. There has been a shortage now for some time. The ATA has worked out there about the shortage on what it is now, what it could be moving forward. And we've got to find a way to make, you know, the, the trucking industry, I, I use the term sexy, but appealing again for <laughs> folks coming out of school to get interested in driving trucks again. There was a time where it was smoking the bandit back in the 80s, that kind of thing. But it's it's one of those things where we need to find a way to get it, whether it's higher pay, better benefits, you know, better time to spend with your family, whatever it may be. And I know people are working that angle as best they can, but there's got to be ways where we can get people interested again in driving uh, trucks to ship product around. Yeah, and I've always kind of thought of it almost like this this gig economy we're in where, you know, people are flocking to drive Uber and Lyft, you know, because they like to do it on their yeah. own time and they like to be where they, yep. they want to be and, you know, you can pick up right. and move and do that anywhere. And it almost seems like like the trucking industry is a similar kind of comparison. It's It's... Just interesting to you know what what companies need to do to attract you know people that are willing to do Uber and Lyft but maybe don't want to drive a truck. You know what are the major differences and how can they you know appeal to those people? Well, and I think that's a good point because there's that one term that everybody finds very very important. It's flexibility. How can I have the flexibility to maintain my lifestyle while generating some additional revenue? And so with Uber, that's been work you know for people that are trying to do extra jobs on the weekend or whatever it may be. People can do that. For, for trucking, it's got to be that flexibility has got to be built in where, yes, the pay has got to be good, the benefits got to be good, but the time commitment to ensure that, hey, someone's home on the weekend for the family or whatever it may be, all those factors are very, very important, I think can ultimately help grow back the trucking driver population uh, that we're struggling with right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what we see companies doing. I mean, I'm, I'm 24. Matt, you're 24, 25? 23. 23. So, yeah. you know, it's amazing how, how companies are going to appeal to, you know, kind of people in our demographic yeah. uh, to, to, yep. to want to drive trucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so moving on a little bit too, um, obviously a couple big daunting uh, uh, projects and tasks in front of you between the tariffs and the trucks. Um, what, what are you guys seeing in the industry on a more positive note? I know you, you mentioned the economy is doing well and many of your member companies are, are, are doing pretty well um, at this time. Yep. You know, what, what are some positive trends you guys are seeing and, and working on and, and, and sure. spending your yeah. time on? I mean, 
the economy obviously is doing great. I mean, relatively speaking, for most. And I, I always, when I go to my meetings, I, you know, I go to the northeast part of the south or the west, whatever it may be. And, you know, pretty steady across the board. The economy is stronger. I think tax reform has served a, a good purpose for a lot of our folks. Um, I think regulatory reform, while it's not something as an issue that's passed on Capitol Hill, it's something that's been done by this administration very effectively. Um, you know, there used to be with President Obama's administration a lot of rules, but also guidance documents that would pop up on a daily basis that you would have to sit there and uh, and, and and look at as to what the impact's going to be on your company. That has been, you know, curtailed significantly over the last 24 months. So that has been a huge thing for our members, too, is less, and not that anybody's shirking their responsibilities in safety and security, but, you know, we have a 27, 28-page regulatory checklist for our members. Our members comply with plenty of rules, justifiable, some probably not. And I think it's one of those things where they're actually able now to focus more on how do I grow the business while still doing it safely and securely, while, you know, providing more jobs and more revenue to the local community. Uh, and that kind of stuff. And so I think reg reform has been a, a good thing for, for the entire industry, uh, and not just even the chemical industry, other industries as well, that it allows companies to sit there and small businesses in particular to do what they're good at, which is go out there and provide for the local community, provide for the company, and grow. Uh, so I think reg reform has been a big thing as well. Um, you know, I think the other thing here that to consider is taxes are good, reg reform's good. Um, I think the fact that we are seeing, while there's been a lot of consolidation, there's also been a lot of good creativity from our industry. New ways to go out there and diversify their their product portfolio, as I said earlier, is they're trying to find new ways to reinvent who they are and what they can do. And so that's been something I've seen some pretty cool ideas out there, whether it's through technology, whether it's through partnerships with other companies, uh, whether it's you know working with distributors, working with distributors to to team up on a on a product offering for, for distribution, whatever it may be. I think there's a lot of cool creativity that's out there right now, and it's really, I think, I'm excited to see how things unfold over the next five or ten years. Um, as we look at things like e-commerce and Alibaba and, and Amazon and, and folks like that, that's something our industry has always always been, you know, kind of lukewarm to get really hot and heavy into. But I think now as the, the climate changes, there's some exciting opportunities where I think our, our members are looking more at e-commerce as something that can help grow their business. Uh, while it could be a struggle for some, I think there's opportunity for others. So I think all those factors are really good things that our industry are, are going to do well in and help grow their business moving forward. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've started with TCC more on the marketing side and, and now pivoting more into a, a bit of a sales role. Um, but the last year and a half kind of keeping an eye on, you know, what TCC is doing for marketing and trying to see what other companies are doing as well. It's definitely kind of lags behind in terms of the e-commerce and the creativity and the, the technology and things that people are doing. Um, yep. but I think it's inevitable that it's going to go there. So it'll be, I agree. It'll be definitely interesting to see in the next, uh, you know, two, three years, what, what companies do with technology, with e-commerce, with, you know, making sure they're on mobile and, and executing on all these different platforms. I definitely agree with that. So I guess wrapping things up, Matt, any other questions or, or thoughts for Eric? Um, no, not so much at this point, no. I know you've used the NACD uh, resources a lot over the last couple months, so I'm sure you're appreciative of, of all that stuff being put out. Yeah, big time. I remember uh, Carrie forwarded me the first email that the NACD uh, listed their you know resource web pages, and, and that was uh, far, by far and large the best resource that I was able to find. Well, we appreciate it. I mean, one of the things I think we do really well around here is the trying to provide people educational tools. So mm -hmm. we got a good team with Jennifer Gibson and Allison Tuzinski, who's been kind of a point person on our trade stuff. They've done a great job. And mm -hmm. we've got an in-person workshop that we have coming up at the end of this month in Kansas City that focuses, it's going to focus a lot on trade. 
Um, we also have webinars and a lot of other tools on that resource page that you're talking about. So, um, you know, if anybody has questions or anything like that, NACD.com is a good place to start and happy to take it from there for those folks that need some answers to a lot of the pressing China 301 stuff. Yeah, that was going to kind of pivot into my kind of final thought is maybe if you wanted to mention um, ways companies can get involved in NACD, um, you know, some of the public events you guys do, as well as, you know, some some member only events and member only resources you guys have, just ways companies can get involved and, and stay involved with the NACD. Sure. I mean, I, the two the two biggest things that we have is, you know, we've got a, a fairly robust event structure. We have our annual meeting coming up in a few weeks in uh, Carlsbad, California, and that's that's, you know, the cream of the crop for our industry where we get you know, 700 people or so to come in and talk a lot about policy and business issues, economic issues, whatever it may be. So that's a good thing. That's it's a member-only event, but it's something that a lot of our folks uh, value greatly. Um, and then I think the advocacy side too um, is where we have we have a very active base. And I always say, make you can you put all your time and effort into something, and you can get something out of it because you try hard. I think a lot of our members really care about the issues that are uh, they're being confronted with, whether it's tax-related, regulatory, trade, security, whatever it may be. So we have a, a pretty robust opportunity to go out there and change things on Capitol Hill, in-person meetings with the staff level, but also our grassroots apparatus is something where a lot of our members take an active role in things. They come into to D.C. for our fly-in in the spring uh, where we're able to change things. So it's it's really helpful to to see to see such an interest in what we do so for those that are interested you know uh you know our guys it's a good good group of folks that go out there and work hard they recognize the better the industry is the better their companies are going to be so whether it's through our events or advocacy um we've got lots of online training tools as we talked about from a regulatory compliance side but also with our responsible distribution program so uh, lots of good things that are out there and you know you know, always encourage people to check it out if they don't believe us uh, and go on nacd.com and we can certainly answer questions they may have moving forward yeah, I know TCC can definitely vouch for all those events and all those resources you guys have. I know Nick and Rob have been involved for a long time, and uh, Ray Altenberger with TCC has been involved for a long time as well with, with the events yep. and the regional meetings and things like that. So I know we can definitely uh, vouch for you know, all the efforts you guys make to, to, to better the industry and, and be a resource. It's been fantastic. Well, the old thing goes, you're only as good as your member, and you guys have been great supporters. We appreciate that. Ray's been a very active member, obviously, in our committee structure and with the association for a while. Um, so, uh, we appreciate your support. And as I said, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we're blessed to have members that care and because they care so much, we work really hard for them to provide them a, a good opportunity, both networking, but also on all the other uh, member services that we have to, to continue to grow. And we can, we continue to grow as an association, which is, which is great. The more we grow, the more opportunity we have to, to provide things to our members. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to wrap things up. Uh, any, any final thoughts you wanted to get out there, Eric, or, uh, any, any other updates? No, I think that's about it. A lot going on. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, encourage people to stay engaged. That's the one thing is is you got to make sure you know what's going on, especially whether it's trade or security or safety. That's you got to know what's out there to make sure you can prepare for it to, to to from a regulatory perspective, but also any impact that things come down legislatively. So always be aware of what's going on. I think that's one of the things we do at NACD really well, and I encourage folks that are not members of the trade group for their industry to look at it because they have a lot of different educational tools that really help folks say, hey, I know how to comply now with something that I didn't realize beforehand, and that's important for our company to grow. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I think we've seen that too. We have you know some customers that just want to know the baseline, hey, what's happening? And we have some customers that want to get very, very detailed and want to know all the specifics and constant updates. So whichever bucket you seem to fall in, you know, it's definitely good resources for, for either type of company. Absolutely. 
All right, Eric, we appreciate the time this morning. Matt, thank you as well. Um, great to sit down and chat with you for a while, and, and hopefully we can have you on a, uh, another episode sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.